Buildings may change, but the present stays the same. Come on, man. <laughs> Excited to uh, share some thoughts with you guys tonight from the Word. And uh, just want to reiterate just the excitement for this week, what this week has in store for everybody. Um, Excited to have my good friend Paul Keith Davis here with us tonight. You guys just give him a hand for being here tonight. He's going to be sharing tomorrow night, and it's going to be awesome. He already given me some the cleft note version of a few things, and uh, but he has a lot to pour out. So I assure you, come with a pen that has plenty of ink in it and a heart ready to receive some revelation because it's going to be really good. Um, you know, we're just going to continue to, uh, obviously guys, this, this is our first time in here and you're going to have to bear with us. Show a lot of grace, man. We have to give family grace, right? You know how family reunions are, right? It's like you see that person you haven't seen in a while. You're like, dude, I'm going to have to exercise some grace right now. <laughs> and so we're in a new space and, uh, just want to say, bear with us as we get children check-in processes going and, and, uh, sound stuff is going to continue to be tweaked and worked out. Um, I got a little bit of a weird sound up here laying. I don't know if that's coming through the monitor there or whatever. That's a little better. Um, but God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Man, it's just so amazing to uh, see so many familiar faces, people who I've walked with. And... Um, a lot of new faces in here tonight. But here's what I want you to know. We're called to be a family. We are. We're called to be a family. And a family has to work together. You know, I grew up, you know, kind of a small farming community in rural Florida. And, um, and I watched how my family, as I was growing up, we worked together, we worked hard together, honestly. You know, in my household, my dad was kind of like, uh, work is play to him. You know, it's like, hey, you ready to go play? I'm like, yeah, let's go work. <laughs> That's his philosophy, you know? But a family that truly works together can accomplish anything. It really can. A family that is willing to lay down their agendas for the common good of the family can overcome whatever storm comes against the house. And I just wanna tell you that it doesn't, I, one of the things I love about being in this building, it, it, this is actually a hurricane-proof facility. Come on, somebody. And I just feel like prophetically speaking that that, that says where we're going, that we need to ha have a place that, man, that that's, can weather the storms that come. A place that where um, something can emerge, you know, to really bring real relief to people. You know, Paul Keith and I have had many conversations that there has to be something more than where we've been in order to get where God's called us to go. We need a, a, a revelation of who Jesus Christ really is. We really need a revelation of who we are in the Father and, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about identity and sonship. And, and um, I'm going to talk to you about being a living sacrifice tonight. 
And I hope before you leave this building that you would have a real good sense of what God is really calling you to. What God is really calling you to, your life to. Everybody's trying to find their purpose. But you're never going to really find your purpose in life if it is not connected and plugged into the Father. And when you read this book in the, in the Old Covenant, the, the, the old, what we call the Old Testament, there are types and shadows, and I'm going to get into this in a few minutes, but if you do not have revelation, you're not going to understand what this stuff means. This is not simply, you know, open the book up and read it and just get whatever you want to get out of it. When Jesus looked at the apostle Peter, he started asking them, you know, who do men say that I am? But then he asked him, who do you say that I am? Some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're this, you're that. But the truth of the matter is, Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was. A revelation is not just some good idea. A revelation is something that was a mystery that is now revealed to you, and it's not here, it's living out of here. And I want to talk about a, sac a living sacrifice that is set on fire tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 8. I can't take the uh, what's going on with this, so I'm just going to change to this handheld. We'll work that out later. 1 Kings chapter 8. This particular portion of Scripture is where Solomon has been working on the temple. And he's coming to a time of dedicating the temple. And we're in a time of dedication tonight. And I started looking at what Solomon did before he began to dedicate the temple. And, and I felt like it was so appropriate with where we are tonight. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. Dude, that's a great screen. Y'all should be able to read a word now. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Instead of just some TVs we had, son, that's a screen. Here's, pick up with me, verse 22. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly, say wholeheartedly, in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, with your mouth you have promised, and with your hand, your hand, you have fulfilled it as it is today. I want to tell you right now that nothing really great is going to happen in the earth until there is a group of people who are ready to wholeheartedly follow after God. It's a people, and I believe that that's what's about to really emerge, is we're going to see some wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And as, as, they, as Solomon began to say this, he said, you, God, have kept your promise. God has made us a promise here. He has been faithful to keep 
his promise and it is by his hand it has been fulfilled make no mistake about it we are worker bees up here doing what God has called us to do but we recognize where our strength comes from we recognize where our help comes from and we know none of this was possible without God this is happening because of him he is faithful Solomon recognized that he had to wholeheartedly follow after God. David wholeheartedly was following after the Lord. And then in, in this next portion of 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, Solomon gives us a picture of the reality of just how big God is to him. And some of us need to allow our perspective of how, God, how big God is to really grow. God, uh, Solomon makes this declaration in this prayer. Look at here, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. But will God really dwell on earth? Question mark. Will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Solomon spent over 20 years building this temple, constructing a place for the presence of God to abide on earth. But Solomon had this revelation. Is there really anything that I could humanly construct to contain this great God? I'm here to tell you tonight, we come into this place and people have been working, and, and some of us have blisters to prove we've been working. Jared Bruce, wherever you're at, he's got many blisters from trying to help put those posts in the ground out there by the road for the banner. I just want to tell you, Joe Miller, that is the hardest ground ever to dig a hole into. You know, we, we constructed this place, we built this place, but we recognize... We really can't build a place that can really inhabit God. That's what Solomon is saying. Solomon's obeying the Lord to do exactly what he said. But listen to this next part. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. That's where we are. We're just saying, God, would you give attention to our heart? We're asking for mercy. We don't really know what we're doing. Honestly, we're just trying to obey. Just trying to figure it out as we go. A life of obedience. He says, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night. And that's where my heart is right now. As I knelt down over here and the Holy Spirit began speaking to me, saying, I'm marking this place. I realized that we could never construct a place that truly could contain him. But can I get his eye on me? See, that's what you really need is the eye of the Lord to be upon you. That's what we're hungry for. God, we want you to notice us like blind Bartimaeus who's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody's telling him to shut up. You're just getting too loud and rowdy. You need to be quiet. He's like, hold up, wait a minute. I'm the guy that's blind. <laughs> you need to be mute for a moment. <laughs> yeah, let that one sink in. You got this man crying out 
Because he wanted the eye of Jesus to notice him. That's what we've been doing here for years is people are contending and praying day and night, night and day, saying, Lord, will you notice us here? Will you give attention to our city? And guys, I'm here to tell you something. I want more than just a revival. I want a full-blown awakening to a generation. He goes on to say, my, may your eyes be a, a, open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer of your servant praise toward this place. And I love what comes after this in 1 Kings chapter 9. Look over here, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 3. This is God's response to Solomon. The Lord said to him, I've heard the prayer and the plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple. Let me tell you something right now. Nothing's getting consecrated without him. Period. He said, I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. I love this. My eyes and my heart will always be there. That's what we want. We want his eyes and his heart to be here. We want his heart to be for us. But he gives some very specific instructions in these scriptures. And here's what it all hinged on. Wholehearted obedience. Wholehearted obedience. God gives these wonderful, amazing promises, but there's always this condition in the clause. And it didn't change in the New Testament. I don't know where this theology came from. But it still requires wholehearted obedience. Not works, but obedience. And what is that work? Die to ourself. Die to ourself. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then come follow me. It's time for a people to die to themselves, to truly let the Lord consecrate them. This time of the Feast of Tabernacles, I'm excited to have Paul Keith share revelation on this. I have a good friend I went to college with that is actually here with us. Uh, he and his wife, Joseph and Miriam, and uh, they're going to be sharing. And, and they spent quite a bit of time. They're missionaries to Israel. And there's a lot of depth that's going to come out, I believe, about tabernacles. And so I'm not going to focus so much on that because I want to, some of what they're going to share to come forth. But here's what I'm going to share with you of what I believe, that this time of the Feast of Tabernacles, we're going to witness the presence and the power of Jesus. I'm just declaring that right now. That he's going to release revelation to empower his bride to walk in his identity. Notice I did not say their identity, his identity. And this is actually a very key point to make tonight. There's a lot of people trying to find their identity and then they never actually know who they are. 
Because no identity that is not plugged into the Father is going to be a wasted time. Listen to what I'm saying here. What do I mean by this? Most people, when they think of identity, they're really talking about personality, like your preferences, like what do you like, what you dislike. It's like my my personality. I may like to surf. I may like cars that go fast. I may like loud music. You know what I'm saying? I may have these these preferences that are motivated based on my personality. But here's what I found out when I became born again. When I was born again, the way I make decisions changed. The way I viewed circumstances, my emotions begin to go through a shift because see, something happens when you begin to die to yourself and you become born again and you begin to get plugged into how the Father feels about you. Here's what Genesis says. Genesis said, let us create man in our likeness and in our image. In God's likeness, in God's image. Now, here's what I want you to understand. We should be living out of an ongoing revelation of who the Father is in us. Who he is in us. Identity must govern personality. I'm going to say that again. Identity must govern personality. Why is that so important? You may say, is that just semantics? It's really not when we look at how Jesus lived his life on the earth, totally connected to the Father. You know, one of the things that that I begin to realize about my life personally, yes, I may be a charismatic person, people that, you know, I, I love, I'm like the life of the party, man. I love to have a good time. I, I'm usually talk loud, talk fast, and, and, and I'm kind of like a car going fast. That's my personality. But here's what I know. If I simply live a charismatic life, I can live a very self-centered, self-focused, self-ambition life. But when I die to myself, and then I begin to plug into through the work of the cross into how the Father sees me, when I plug into the reality of sonship, then all of a sudden the identity that was in the heart of God begins to manifest through my personality. Then all of a sudden charisma and and, and excitement and all of those things are being governed by how God feels. Now, I want to look at a passage of scripture to bring a little bit of clarity to this. Look over in John, the gospel of John chapter 14. And I hope this will make sense to you. And before I'm done, we're all going to be on the altar as a living sacrifice. It's going to be so good. (laughs) John chapter 14, verse 5. It starts, this, this, this particular portion of scripture, verse 5 through 14, is a discussion that Jesus is having with a couple of disciples. The first one, Thomas, Jesus begins having a conversation with him about where he is going. He's saying, hey, I'm about to leave. And, and Thomas is saying, where are you going that we may know the way? And he looks at him and he says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. You're like, but where can I find that on a map, Jesus? (laughs) 
He's like, if you get plugged in, you'll know exactly where I am. And then right after that, Jesus has a discussion with Philip. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. If you really know me, you will really know my Father as well. Keep that in your mind. Now let's go to the next verse here. Philip says to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough. Now he's been walking with Jesus for this period of time and he's saying, show us the Father and that will be enough. And then Jesus makes this very interesting reply to Philip that you, you kind of kind of wonder, why does he respond back to him this way? Jesus answered, don't you know me? Who's your daddy? Don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And listen to this phrase, underline this. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Identity. Not a different personality. His identity in the Father. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now, John chapter 20, John chapter 8 verse 28 says this. Jesus makes a st- a pr- another profound statement. He says, I do nothing on my own. I want to give you these scriptures for a reason to build a case to you here. John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. What is this saying about the life of Jesus? He is not doing his own thing. Jesus is fulfilling everything that the Father has ordained. Jesus is 100% in the Father, the Father in him, and everything that is coming out of Jesus is what the Father wants to produce in the earth. And then you got some kind of scripture that says, uh, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, we say the words, but it will not manifest until sons and daughters begin to operate in wholehearted following. Jesus came wholeheartedly to do the Father's will. And that's what he's calling us to. John chapter 5. Let's turn here. John chapter 5, verse 17. The Pharisees heard Jesus making a statement about his father. Listen to this. My father is always at his work to this very day. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
And then he goes on to say, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. There's a pattern being developed here. There's a pattern being developed of what identity of sonship looks like. It looks like obedience. It looks like what is, what's, what is going on in the heart of the Father should be going on in our heart. Whatever his concern is should be our concern. Whatever he wants to see produced in our city should be living through us. We should be doing his will, not our own. During the Feast of Tabernacles, which is found in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, as I was reading through this, there were a few key words that begin to stand out to me. And I want to share this with you. I, I alluded to it a few minutes ago that the things in the Old Covenant, the types the shadows, the things that the prophets were prophesying. They, they were prophesying this, this truth that was coming and, and there was a, you know, these sim signs and symbols and things that were being done by the covenant people of God. They built this temple and they were required to bring these sacrifices uh, into, into the temple and to sacrifice them before the Lord. There was a certain way God instructed those things to be done. And if you just read that, you could kind of read that and just think that's all it was. But here's what you have to understand. When we move into the New Testament, there's revelation about what they were doing. Isaiah prophesies about a Messiah that is coming. But whenever Jesus stood in front of Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? How did Peter have that understanding? By revelation. It was given to him by revelation. The Father revealed that to him. And then Jesus said that my kingdom will be built on this. What? This revelation. Now, understanding that these types and shadows, we need revelation to understand them, I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 16. Just turn to Romans chapter 16. Mark that. And I'm going to read to you from Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33. I'm going to read to you a portion of scripture, but I want you just to, to pause here for just a moment. You can leave that up there. I want to read this to you though. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month of the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. Seven days you shall present the Lord's offerings by fire. Say fire. I'm going to say this again. Present the Lord's offerings by fire. 
These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as the sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord, the burnt offerings and the grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. So they would bring these sacrifices to the Lord. And the Lord instructed them that when these sacrifices came, they had to put fire on the sacrifice. Now, look here at Romans chapter 16. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, this is Paul, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says that this mystery that has been kept hidden for ages is now being made a revelation. This mystery about Jesus is now being poured out and we now must have revelation that he is the son of God, that he is the one that atoned for our sins. He's pouring this out for the Gentiles to understand this. Now, here's what I want to tie together for you. Is this portion about offerings that were commanded to have fire put on them. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We started off talking about Solomon dedicating the temple and Solomon asking for the presence of God, for the eye and the heart of God to be on the temple. And right here, when the dedication of the temple began to happen, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, I'm fixing to sew something up for you right here, and I hope it's life-changing for you because it was life-changing for me. God instructed for fire to come upon those sacrifices, and when that sacrifice was lit, all of a sudden the glory of the Lord filled the temple so much that the priests could not even minister. They were shut down. Now, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to what? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You and I is the sacrifice that's now coming. The people would bring their lamb, they would bring, they would take these bulls and goats, they would bring them to be sacrificed. Now, you and I are a living sacrifice. And here's the thing you got to understand. You got to get this by revelation of what God is saying. He's saying, this is what you to do. 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we come before the Lord and listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For what? For our God is an all-consuming fire. And then you have in the gospel of Matthew, where God, in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist came proclaiming and as a forerunner saying, there's someone coming after me who I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal strap on his shoe. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Why? Keeping in agreement with what was ordered all the way to the Old Testament that the sacrifice that comes before the Lord must be set on fire. That's you. That's me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. For those of you in the house who deal with condemnation, I want to put something to rest right here. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is able and has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. How are we to approach God's throne? Say it again. Say it like you mean it. We are to approach God's throne with confidence because of our high priest who has gone before us and he's saying you and I come before the Lord as a living sacrifice, and our high priest is going to do what? Set you on fire, man. The priest was to set fire to the sacrifice. Am I right? Or I got wrong theology here. The priest is the one who had to put the fire on the altar, on the sacrifice. That's why John the Baptist said, one is coming to baptize in the Holy Spirit, the agent that the Lord is using to set you on fire with is not just water, it's the Holy Spirit fire. Holy Spirit fire. A fire that cannot be put out. A fire that cannot be quenched by intimidation. A fire that cannot be put out with insecurity. A fire that cannot be put out by fear. A fire that cannot be put out by circumstances. A fire that is lit by an all-consuming God who is on fire. I mean, we have testimonies of when the pillar of fire comes and stands in the room. We need a fire that cannot be put out. God has his eye on us. His heart is for us. The question is, are we going to wholeheartedly follow after him? Are we going to pursue him with the same intensity that he pursued us? 
Could you imagine being in a marriage where there was only one pursuing the other? The other was disinterested. You're pursuing your spouse. You're totally trying to overwhelm them with love and adoration and and care. and, And you're trying to give your heart to that person. And they're just disinterested in you. I'm sorry to say, but there's a large portion of the church that falls into that category right now, simply disinterested. And I believe the only thing, not the only thing, but one of the things that causes that level of someone to be disinterested, because they're not seeing the real deal. Because when you see the real thing, how can you be disinterested in that? Jesus told his disciples, at least believe on the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. We must follow wholeheartedly. As the Apostle Paul said, as a living sacrifice, he will fill our life with the fire of his presence. And then I thought about this. This just just caused me to begin to weep. When the fire would hit the sacrifice, it would begin to burn. And out of that burning, a smoke begins to rise. And the Lord said that that smell was a pleasing fragrance to him. That smell that was coming off of that sacrifice was a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. And so as I begin to see by revelation a body of people that are coming like a living sacrifice before the throne of grace, without condemnation, without fear, coming and ready for his fire to be poured out on them, there is a fragrance that is released to heaven. There is an aroma that is God is waiting to just come up to his nostrils. And I believe it's when the bride begins to realize her identity. An identity that is not separated from the Father, but an identity that's totally connected to him. Living, breathing, totally connected to the Father. Now, how does this work practically? How does this work practically? You know, people go to church and it's like, give you three points and your, your practical sermon and, 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 but you know, here's, here's the deal. This is about as practical as I could figure out. Die to myself, die to my agenda, get on the floor and cry out to Jesus. I haven't found another more practical way for his presence to change my life. Falling on our face, crying out in repentance. What is repentance really doing? Repentance says, your way is right, my way is wrong. Your way of thinking is the right way, and the way I think is not like the way you think. Therefore, I will come before you, and I will repent of my way so that I can walk in your way. His statutes are beyond our ability. His ways are beyond our ability. He made a way through 
Jesus. By putting his spirit in you. How do you think Jesus did what he did on the earth through the spirit? I mean, we have the testimony of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and the Holy Spirit there upon him. I wonder, do we think that we are supposed to do less than what Jesus did on the earth? Do we think, being honest with yourself, do you feel like what Jesus did was beyond what you can do? I have been there. I have been in that place where it, what Jesus did seems so big. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He casted out devils. He did things that were miraculous. And you look at what Jesus did and you think, I could never do that. And here's the deal. The Bible says the works he did, you will do and greater works. That's how I know we must be void of a revelation. Am I wrong? We must be void of a revelation because that's what Jesus told his disciples in the gospel of John. So here's what I'm saying tonight. We need an identity that is just like one of these cables around here that needs to get plugged in to the Father. You need to get your personality plugged into real identity. How the Father sees you, how the Father feels about you and begin to live out of that place. Tonight, I'm gonna have the worship team, if you guys would come back up here. There's a song that I want these guys to sing and we're gonna go into a time of worship here. Because I believe what, what must happen, what has to happen, is we have to do what Paul said. We have to decide that we're going to be a living sacrifice and come before the Lord. We have to decide. He's not going to force you to do it. He's going to call you to it. By revelation, will you come as a living sacrifice and let's ask Jesus to do what was prophesied that your high priest would set you on fire. Does anybody in here want to be set on fire? There is a lot of room up here in this altar area. You don't have to come up here to be set on fire, but if you would like to, you're welcome to come up here. I want to take a moment before before we move further into this Feast of Tabernacles time, before more truth and revelation is going to be poured out, I'm here to tell you right now that if you don't come as a living sacrifice and get this part of denying yourself and laying yourself before God, you're not going any further. How do I know this to be true? Because Jesus came to his disciples and he said, 
My flesh is food and my blood is drink. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then you'll have life in you. If you do not eat, if you do not drink, you'll have no part. And it says that day multitudes left him. Multitudes left him who had been walking with him. And here's what Jesus did. He looked at his closest disciples and he said, do you want to leave too? And what did Peter say? Peter said, Lord, where can we go? Have you come to that place in your life? Have you really come to the place where you're literally on your knees saying, Lord, where can I go? You have put many things before me, but only you have the words of life. Only you have words of life, and there is nowhere I can go. He wants to give us revelation. He wants to give us truth. But are we stuck right where some of his disciples were, unable to receive revelation because it didn't fit within our little box? And I'm here to tell you right now, the God that we serve is not living in simple American Christianity. He's not. Just like Solomon said, I could not build a temple to contain you. Don't be deceived by simple American Christianity that seems to many times be devoid of his power, of his glory, the kind of glory where priests can't minister, the kind of glory where Peter is walking down streets and his shadow is kept falling on crippled people and they get healed. And Jesus said, greater things you would do. Look, man, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm saying this to myself. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. I'm saying this because this is what I know God has called us to as the bride of Christ. How can we rule and reign with him if we're not truly seated with him in heavenly places, walking and thinking the way the Father feels about us? It's time to put insecurity aside. It's time to put fear aside. It's time for your identity to come into focus as a son and daughter of the living God. Would you stand to your feet? I just simply want to come tonight as a living sacrifice. I wanted us to come on this first night and simply say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I'm not here to try to hype you up. I'm not simply trying to get a better crowd next week because the only thing that matters to me is that a body of people become what Jesus died for. If you want to find some real estate up here, you're welcome to come to this altar. Our prayer team, will you guys just make yourself available as some of these come. If you feel led to come, you can find a place. And I just want us to come before the Lord. And we're going to begin to sing this song. And I'm just going to believe God to do what only God can do. I don't know how else to do this.